My name is Karen Stiller. Today we welcome author Paul Boga from Winnipeg. Paul is an engineer, an author, and a filmmaker, and has just released a new book called The True Story of Canadian Human Trafficking with Castle Key Books. Welcome, Paul. Thanks, Karen. Yeah, thanks for joining us. So tell us about this new book um, in broad strokes. I assume because it's called The True Story that it is a true story. Let's start there. Sure. So Joy Smith and I were uh, discussing human trafficking a couple of years ago, and uh, the thought came to our, our minds to to work on a book, a true story about human trafficking in Canada. And a couple of the things that really twigged on to me was that human trafficking is happening largely to girls who are born and raised right here in Canada, and it's also involving uh, Canadian men who are paying money for it. And so the book looks at, uh, at Joy's work in combating human trafficking, but it also stitches together true stories of, uh, of girls who have been rescued from human trafficking right here in Canada. Okay, and let's, uh, in case people don't know, uh, Joy Smith was an MP who was pivotal in passing or helping to pass and push through a couple of bills to do with human trafficking. So when did your paths first cross on this issue? We, we were meet, meeting together at a, uh, a banquet. We happened to be sitting right side by side. And I'd known that Joy was involved in human trafficking uh, ever since she got into, into Parliament. And uh, so she and I became friends. And we worked together on, uh, on another ministry with rescuing street kids in Kenya. And then we happened to be sitting together at a banquet for this particular uh, ministry. And we just started talking about human trafficking. And that's when the idea of, of putting this book together came about. Wow. Okay, so in the book, you tell the story of Abby, who is described mm -hmm. as a high school student from Markham, Ontario, and Jake, a new student who eventually ensnares her into the sex trade. So are Abby and Jake real people? They are. Uh, the Abby's character is, is a true story based off of a composite of uh, Canadian girls. And, uh, and Jake, the same thing. So these are people, I interviewed a number of survivors, Canadian survivors of human trafficking. And as you can imagine, their stories are absolutely heartbreaking. And it's, it's happening to girls who are right here uh, from all different economic spheres, all different backgrounds. And uh, it's just important people have an idea of how this works. How does human trafficking happen? How do we understand the methods that traffickers use? And how can we protect uh, girls against uh, falling prey to this? But the other part that to me really shocked me was the, the kinds of Johns, that that's the name that we use for the guys who are using these girls, how prevalent that's become in Canadian culture. Wow. And tell, well, tell me about ages first. So the Abbeys of the world, um, are, is there a, an average age that they are? Girl, girls can get lured in at any age, but on average, you're looking at about 14 years. So these are very, very young girls. Uh, of course, they get trafficked much younger than that. They also get trafficked a little bit older than that. But uh, they can be 12. They can be younger than 12. But, uh, you know, 12, 14 years old, that's the average age. So extremely vulnerable, right? Yes, extremely yeah. vulnerable to the, the whole grooming thing and someone coming in and telling them nice things. And I assume that's part of it. Yeah, and a big part of it now is is social media. 
And so uh, these traffickers, uh, they're very, very devious people. And what they do is they'll come online and they'll look for friends through social media. They'll join chat groups and try and become friends with one or more of the girls. And they'll attempt this with many, many different girls, just trying to keep as many of them going and to see who bites, so to speak. And a big part of it is luring the girl in with a lot of compliments. Uh, gifts is very, very critical as well. So expensive uh, jewelry, could be a cell phone, could be clothing, could be all kinds of different things, and trying to win her trust. And once a girl uh, senses that she's loved by someone, senses that she's cared by someone, then her heart's given over to this fellow. And it can be done very, very innocently. Uh, but once she has her heart given to this guy, he can begin to push her in ways that she otherwise wouldn't go. And they're very, very devious with how they do this, but they're very calculated. They understand how to attract a girl. And once they're caught, once they're uh, in love with this fellow, then the handcuffs, the chains, so to speak, aren't even necessary because she's given her heart to this guy. She trusts this guy and she's depending from him to receive this love and affection that she's so desperately looking for and will do almost anything to get it. Wow. And so you mentioned sort of a profile of these Johns. So tell mm -hmm. us what these guys are like besides first, really bad. <laughs> right. And, and, and when I first started looking into human trafficking, I thought, you know, the Johns must be guys who are you know, really down and out, uh, living just at the very bottom echelons of society. But I was completely wrong about that. A typical John can really come from any age bracket, any income bracket. But on average, they're between 30 and 60 years old and they have a good job. And that absolutely shocked me because it described me. I thought, these are people who are just like me. And you can't, you can't notice them. You can't you know, spot somebody and look at them and say, oh, that's a John. And so these are men who have a lot of disposable income. And uh, they're able to, to either go online or they have connections and they find these girls. And the really scary thing is that they find ways to convince their own consciences that this is okay. And so I interviewed John's guys who'd come out of it and tried to get into their head and to try to understand and say, how did you do this? How did you get involved in this? And, and so when the Johns start to go down this path... Uh, they, they have to convince themselves that, for example, this girl's doing this because she needs the money, uh, even though she doesn't see a dime of it. But they, they convince themselves that they're giving this trafficker uh, some money and she's using this money to help pay for her education. So he convinces himself that this is all OK and it's complete sin. It's complete deception. But somehow he has to get past that. And then once they're into this mode of doing this and paying for it, it becomes an addiction and they're locked into it. So how are these Johns getting, the Johns, first of all, getting out? Is it because they've been arrested or? Sure. So there's different sting operations that happen. This is the number one ways that, that Johns get caught is that there's sting operations and guys go online. And meanwhile, police officers have been putting messages online to lure guys in. They, the guy comes to the door, he gets caught and says, look, this is a, a sting operation. You're now under arrest. And so uh, in different areas, there's different ways in which police officers deal with it. Uh, oftentimes, Johns have uh, the option of going to John's school or getting a criminal record or getting their picture in the paper. So they're often apt to uh, picking the uh, the John school route. Uh, 
But it's, it's a massive problem that's happening, and certainly there's things like uh, pornography that fuel into it, uh, uh, media that fuel into it, and just the uh, objectifying women uh, for their own personal pleasure. And all this feeds into it, John, and that becomes more and more prevalent, and it's especially handled over social media. And so how can we protect, like, let's say someone's listening to this and they have an 11-year-old daughter. Mm. How do we protect them from this kind of uh, recruiting that we would, most of us would never, ever think that our daughters would be vulnerable to this? Yeah. One of the things that we noticed uh, with the girls that are survivors of human trafficking is that many of them have a history of abuse in their families already. So the girls are predisposed to human trafficking in some cases. Now, there is quote-unquote snatch and grab where girls are absolutely just pulled right off of the streets and, and, and stolen, and that's very, very difficult to protect against. But the modus operandi, the general way in which traffickers operate is they're looking for girls who are already predisposed to it. So uh, creating a healthy family environment, uh, especially having fathers loving their daughters training their daughters up in the way of the Lord and spending time with their daughters so that they have an an image of what a good man is like. Having their daughters with healthy men around them, good uncles, good grandparents, so they see this healthy environment. The second is is to teach children. Children need to be educated. These kids are growing up way faster. I'm 44. When I was a kid, this wasn't happening, at least not in Canada. But kids now have to grow up so much faster. So we need to sit down with kids, especially teach them, look, there are guys at malls, guys at community clubs who are looking for girls for these purposes, but they also try to do it online. So we need to educate girls and say, look, Who is this person you're talking to? And to ensure that the connections that girls have are open with the family. It's this secretive means of being online that is just fuel for the fire for human trafficking. So we want to make sure that young girls have open lines of communication, that these are the friends that I'm talking with, both online and in person. So it's the educational component of making girls aware, but also creating a home environment that is safe for girls. So as they're growing up, they have healthy images of who a guy is. So they're not willing to, you know, throw their heart at somebody because it's, it's very, it's a beautiful thing to fall in love, but these guys know that and they're trying to prey upon that. And how, how do the girls who uh, are rescued or get themselves out, how does that typically happen? How do they escape? Yeah. Surviving human trafficking is incredibly difficult. Uh, traffickers are not interested in giving up their girls because they make a lot of money for them. It's one of the advantages to human trafficking over drug trafficking in that you can continue to sell a girl many, many times Whereas in uh, in drug use, it's a single source, and that's it. Guns, same thing. You buy it once, you sell it once, you're done. But when it comes to human trafficking, this is highly advantageous because it's the same product over and over and over again. And so when girls try to leave uh, human trafficking, there needs to be somebody in their life that teaches them that what's happening here is completely wrong because oftentimes the girls have, have drug addictions, alcohol addictions, and to form a relationship with a girl to try to get her out. Uh, Joy Smith's foundation does an excellent job. These girls can reach out to foundations like Joy's. They can reach out to the police. Oftentimes, the traffickers convince girls that police are evil and will hurt them and they can't trust them. There's a lot of brainwashing that goes on. 
So for girls who are trapped in this is to, to speak to a police officer, to speak to a friend, to reach out to Joy Smith's uh, foundation, to reach out to other uh, Christian organizations, other organizations out there, NGOs, uh, that will help them get out. And there must be uh, organizations and probably specifically Christian organizations that are like on the front line going out, meeting with girls they find on the street. I assume that happens. Sure. So International Justice Mission is a classic one. Uh, Joy Smith's Foundation, many others are out there looking for girls and trying to help them. So there are many, many ways in which people can get involved, uh, many ways in which uh, people can, can volunteer their time. Uh, it is growing in Canada, yeah, unfortunately. But I think that through education, through the kids, getting it into schools, getting into churches, getting into Sunday schools, kids have to grow up earlier and they have to have sit-downs with their parents so that they become wise and understanding of how these serpents are going after them. Yeah, I think I think we're surprised to think that human trafficking happens in Canada, aren't we? Like it, it's Absolutely. I think we're kind of naive about that. Sure. I, I would say one of the most common responses that I get from people is when I tell them I'm working on a book on human trafficking in Canada, they say, oh, these are foreign girls coming in. I say, no, this is happening to girls who are born and raised in Canada with Canadian passports, and they're shocked. And these are people from all different stratospheres in our culture. And and they see a look of shock when I see them talk to them. They're just shocked that this is really happening in our country. I says, not only is it happening, it's growing in our country. And so in order for us to combat human trafficking, we have to look at it on two fronts. One is educating our girls, but also educating the young boys that are out there teaching them that paying for sex is absolutely wrong. Of course, in a Christian context, we see that any sex outside of marriage is wrong. But at the very least, on a broader Canadian context, we need to be able to educate boys to say, this is completely wrong. You can't go down this path because that girl, here's the critical thing, that girl doesn't want to be there no matter what she tells you. She's being paid to do that. Your part, the John is being cycled into a lie that she wants to be there. So he throws his money at her and she lies, says, yep, I love this is great for college, whatever else. She doesn't want to be there. You know, I read somewhere, Paul, uh, about pornography use, that that very line is one of the most effective ways to stop guys from using pornography when they fully realize that, you know, the vast majority of the women or girls in the pornography are not really freely choosing, you know, to be there. They may have felt they had no choice. That that fact alone uh, can really change their minds about using it. Absolutely. And when we look at the, the word you mentioned there of choice, whenever we talk about choice, there has to be something for that girl that would have been equal or better to that. So if you look at uh, the grade two, three, four, five-year-old girls and you ask them, what do you want to be when they grow up? Well, why do 0% of them say, I want to work in the pornography industry? Why do 0% of them say, I want to work the streets, I want to sit in a brothel, I want to sit in a hotel room and service five guys, 10 guys a night? So, so these are just straight hard facts, and the metrics tell us that none of these girls want to be there. 
So to try to educate guys about this, it's critical to see the link as to the proliferation of pornography that's happened that has now fueled these desires that then relates downstream into guys, some guys, going and paying for it to get the quote-unquote live experience. And so if we look at what's happened in other parts of the world, as Christians, of course, we're very, very clear as to what is right and what is wrong, to live holy and to separate that from the unholy. From a broader Canadian context, at the very least, what we should be pushing for is the opt-in so that we say, look, we're now going to divide the Internet up and say these are sites that we believe are pornographic. And if you are an Internet uh, service user, you have to then opt into it in order to get those sites. So uh, it, it's be- like right now the Internet's a big free-for-all, and that has to stop. And I think that most people, whether they're Christian or not, can see the metrics are out now to see the direct correlation between pornography and human trafficking. But the pornography in and of itself is a problem, and that's been documented as well. Yeah, for sure. Paul, I wonder um, if our attitudes in society are changing toward uh, girls and women, women seeing them as victims as opposed to, you know, when I was growing up in the 70s, I remember, you know, even then when I became aware of prostitution, there was, I think people really looked down on women who, you know, quote unquote, worked the streets and this idea of them being caught in this terrible situation, circumstances, that wasn't part of our vocabulary, but I feel like that's changing. Absolutely, Karen. I think more and more people are understanding that uh, girls who are working in prostitution, girls who are being trafficked, that they are the victims here. And the perpetrators are the traffickers and the johns. And so we need to look at girls who are in, and, and we, we have the pretty woman scenario, right? And, and you have this idea that, oh, it's glamorized. It's not glamorized. These girls' lives are in danger. And so the way in which we look at people is to ask ourselves the question, who's, who's committing the crime here? And so no doubt the girl that's there, she doesn't want to be there. And so we need to reach out with arms of love and to say, look, we're not going to go after the women here and and charge them with crimes. We're going to go after the Johns. We're going to go after the traffickers. And this is where we as a culture have to take a hard stand. There are uh, penalties now for, for traffickers, and that has to increase. But I also think we have to look tougher at the John scenario and say, look, that's great you've gone to John school. Maybe that gives the guy the one chance, but maybe it's something like two strikes you're out. And so if a guy does it a second time, clearly there's a disconnect with him understanding of what's really happened to these girls because they're the victims here. Yeah. Wow. So, Paul, where can uh, somebody pick up your book? Well, the launches are taking place uh, starting uh, in May, but they'll be available at bookstores uh, throughout Canada. Uh, You can also get them uh, online, and uh, Castle Key Books uh, has them as well. All right. So, uh, Paul Boga joining us today. His book is called The True Story of Canadian Human Trafficking. Paul, thank you so much. Karen Stiller, thank you so much for your time and your kindness.